Emma and I are, are always on the opposite ends of the spectrum as far as what we order at a restaurant. For whatever reason, she ends up ordering like a really masculine meal all the time. And I order real feminine stuff. Like you had eggs and toast, but I ordered like a yogurt parfait with like granola and honey and raspberries. One looks like it's made for someone who's about to do real work today and the other one looks like it's made for the Queen of England. <laughs> and then he, the waitress comes out and she's like, huh? Oh, oh, oh. And then oh. I was like, <laughs> and I'm over here with like whipped cream in my mustache. Everything she orders, she has to be like, uh, do you have a steak knife? I need a steak knife for this. And I'm over here going, do you have a dainty fork? I need a dainty fork to pick around the things I don't like. Trekking heavier traveling life. There's one thing that's right wherever I go. That's where I am. Oh, we're already recording. Yeah. That's how I like to start the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to this week in Zoltan. I am Zoltan. I don't know why you added this camera here. Now I don't know which one to look into. It's that one. It's that one. I'm going to look into you feel more comfortable with the one here? No, I'm, I'll am i take any and all of them. All right. I, I decided, uh, by the way, we're keeping all of this. Sure. In. It's episode 360 of This Week in Zoltan, my podcast. And we added this extra camera here, Mike did. And uh, he's on the ones and twos. We got Emma on the side. And uh, I didn't know which one to look into. And like the professional that I am, I was like, oh, I'll just dart my eyes around to all three until uh, I look like a complete psycho. Until someone says something. Yeah, until <laughs> someone says, what the hell are you doing? People are going to be so upset by watching you like this. But anyway, welcome to the podcast. Uh, as always, we are brought to you by our one and only sponsor, the Safe Journal. SafeJournal.co. Get 25% off. Uh, if you use the promo code Zoltan, if you don't know what the safe journal is, let me get into my spiel. Are you new to journaling? Have you been a seasoned journal, jur journaler your entire life? I didn't realize that was such a hard word to say. But yeah, if you're uh, looking to get into the world of journaling, the Safe Journal is a great place to start. They get a bunch of tools to identify your feelings and figure out uh, how you feel and how to write and what to write about. And on top of that, there's aspects to it. Uh, where you can reflect. That's the most important thing. Because if you're feeling crappy on a Monday and you don't know why, then how do things change? How do you pivot to a more positive Tony Robbins type of lifestyle? Put that anywhere, Mike. <laughs> Mike's oh, I'm planning on it. <laughs> I, don't, I wish there was a camera angle for what was going on. Well, that's what I'm trying to do. I forgot to turn my light on here. I'll just switch it so that people know that I'm a maniac. I'm trying to get the light on me. That's I so forgot funny. to put it on. I always forget that. Oh, man. This is a disaster. I love it. We're back. There we are. There we There's go. Mike. He's coming from the uh, from the, from the the bomb shelter. Apparently great from hell. Yeah, straight from hell. There's Mike. <laughs> so anyway, uh, if you're new to journaling, the Safe Journal is perfect for you. If you're a seasoned journaler, I think you can benefit from the uh, archival aspects of it, of being able to go back and adjust your feelings and realize maybe you shouldn't talk to your mother on Mondays because she's a real trigger for ruining your entire day. Safe Journal. SafeJournal.co. <laughs> Remember, it's .co, not .com. .com costs $10,000. We don't have that kind of money. .co, we could afford. SafeJournal.co. Promo code Zoltan, 25% off. And on top of that, when you use that promo code, I send you a handwritten thank you note. And I've been... I wrote so many of those last week that they all, my handwriting is so bad. 
It's so bad. It looks like I've, I'm writing the notes with a gun to my head while I'm crying. <laughs> like it looks, it looks like I'm sobbing out a like uh, a hostage note to my loved ones before they put a bullet in the back of my skull. Well, I don't That's, know who taught you to write in magazine clippings? But yeah. <laughs> you're just cutting out words. Like I don't think this is how you're supposed to write, man. If I ever became a serial killer that left like little zodiac notes to the newspaper. Uh, whoever the handwriting forensics guy is, is like, well, this is a one-of-a-kind chicken scratch. <laughs> like, he has dyslexia and, I think, an injured index finger because there's no way, <laughs> there's no way any any human being can have this bad of a handwriting. I um, give up on every word. That's what my handwriting looks like. Dude. Every word, the end of the word is just like, did, I just like forgot how to write. I heckle myself while I write. While I'm writing, I'm like, that's how you make a P? <laughs> Sometimes I'll do a P with two bubbles in it, like a B, and then I'll be like, <laughs> what is that? But it's a, it's a pen. There's no eraser. And you're giving me nice stationery to write this on. So I'm like, yeah, I invented a Russian letter with a P with a B bubble where it comes in a little, like it's got a belly button on it. That didn't do any good in college. All your professors were like, look, <laughs> I'm not your professor. Okay, we're not friends. <laughs> I'm your teacher. I got to be honest with you. Uh, I need these typed out. I need these. I had a teacher, I think, in middle school that came up to me and was like, middle school or high school? And was like, hey, do you have a computer at home? And I was like, <laughs> I was, which is kind of an offensive question because yeah, this is an age when not every household had a computer. But when was I in middle school? Like 99, 2000, like those couple years. So like not everyone had a computer at home. And he should have known I was in the trailer park. I was wearing. Like, no, but we got a couple TVs on the yard. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we have a, Emma makes fun of, of the household. We have a TV in every room yeah. all right and in emma's parents household they have like one tv and it's never on it's never on they're all about conversation or silence or cooking and my family's household has a tv in both bedrooms the living room the enclosed patio where carlos sleeps on the floor sure. the kitchen the laundry room the carport where Carlos has turned it into a gym slash man den, two TVs. So there's two <laughs> TVs in the garage. There's a TV in the laundry room. There's a TV in his living room. There's a TV in the actual living room, kitchen, and the two bedrooms. We're just missing bathroom. Are, which, they, are they ever on the same channel? So when you go room to room, you most never miss of, what you're doing? <laughs> most of the time. Most of the time. That's I remember awesome. growing up, uh, he wanted to save... Cause he, you know, he he loved having all the TVs, and we were all a fan of all the TVs. But he didn't want to, he didn't want to have eight cable boxes, because that's like you've got to pay rent on all eight cable boxes. Found so a, a 12, 12 plug splitter though. <laughs> that's what he had, <laughs> probably. Dude. We had a splitter. This thing looked like it was straight out of Radio Shack clearance bucket, and so if you, it had an A and B on it. So if you were going. If you wanted to watch from the cable box in the kitchen where there wasn't a cable box, you'd hit A. But if someone was watching off that cable box in the other one, I would just get Spanish language soccer. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, I'm trying to watch pro wrestling. He's like, yeah, I'm watching Ecuador, you know, beat Uruguay. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then I'd have to go to B and go on this other thing and then watch my pro wrestling in the kitchen from that. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I forget how we went down that 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 landmine of conversation point is i have horrible handwriting that's where all this starts because i was watching tv but yeah i had a middle school teacher oh, did you have a computer 
we had a computer. We had because uh, the teacher asked you. That's where you're headed. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what it was. It wasn't even so much a computer as it was a typewriter with a monitor. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember these. It's probably you're too young for these. Mike probably remembers them. But back in the day, they had a thing that was like a typewriter. You type here, but you'd have a monitor that would have orange and black. So orange was the text, black was obviously the screen. And you would type, and then when you were done, it would print it out and go da 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 da, and that's how I would turn my homework in because my handwriting was horrible, and I never handwrote anything ever again except for like the notes in my comedy journal. Like that. That's exactly what it was. Oh, I've never seen. Is that, that a brother? That is a. Remember the electronic company IBM PS? Ooh, PS2. PS2. PS- Whoa. P70. Yeah, you were. You were can we get twisted time? metal on that? Like, can we <laughs> hook that up with some Crash Bandicoot? Well, you're, you're definitely getting the off-off-brand Oregon Trail. Mm-hmm. Yes. When Oregon Trail was an orange, you were like, somebody got the wrong <laughs> disc. It's supposed and to be it, green and black, and that's it. In their version of Oregon Trail, the natives win, and uh, <laughs> and the whites go back to Europe. <laughs> that's, that's the correct version. Um, but yeah, so like, uh, yeah, we had the brother version of that. Anyway, horrible handwriting. If you buy a journal and use the promo code Zoltan, I will send you a crippled handwritten message that says thank you. And I hope you can read it. The most legible thing on the note is me signing my own name, I would hope. Mm-hmm. Emma strongly agrees. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> we had a good time uh, this last week. We were in, it was a classic comedy weekend which I've told you about many times, where comedy is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Like, I remember the first time I worked Brad Garrett's comedy club at the MGM Casino and Hotel in Vegas. It was awesome. They put me in this giant suite in the off towers, and then we would do... I did horrible on the shows, which is why they didn't book me too many times after that. Uh, But... The shows were like, everyone treats you like a million bucks. You stay in this nice room. They pay you really well for a feature act. And then the next week, I was working the Seattle Underground, uh, which was in Pioneer Square, which is a rough part of Seattle. It was rougher then. And uh, instead of staying at a high-end hotel, I was staying at a flop house uh, across the street from the club. And there were people smoking crack in the alley right below my window. Mm -hmm. And all throughout the night, there was a window I couldn't close, and there was a guy, multiple people coming in yelling for the drug dealer Maurice. So throughout the night, every like 30 minutes, Maurice! And it would be like, yeah, what do you want? You know what I want! (laughs) And then he would come down, do the drug deal. And then, uh, so yeah, it's just comedy is the highest of highs, lowest of lows, which is why I think as far as people that work in the arts or whatever, we're usually the most humble. You have to be. I, it makes you humble. Because no, no other industry do you work at where you have to travel constantly and get beat up all the time. Do you, have you ever had to stick your head out a window and look up and go, excuse me, Maurice? <laughs> excuse me, Maurice? <laughs> Perhaps you can take this business downstairs so I can sleep? <laughs> I know you have crack to sell, but... If you don't mind. <laughs> Excuse me, Maurice, you're, uh, the bass in your voice it makes me feel that you have strong forearms. Maybe you can help me close this window so could, you can yell about crack. Could you inform your customers that I sleep in? And uh, <laughs> I wouldn't mind it if you don't mind. Dude, you don't know how depressing it is to wake up. After the weekend before, you were in a five-star hotel. I'm, I don't even know if that was... It was the nicest hotel I had stayed in at that point. And you wake up in a five-star hotel. The next week, you wake up 
and you look out the window and it's just an alley so it's not even a view you just see the other building and then you look down and there's three people sharing a crack pipe and you're like today's gonna be a good day today's gonna you know what we can we can tackle today i remember that same weekend this is how bad the homelessness and the drug use was in seattle then and maybe it's worse now probably who knows it was cold it was in february and i went to go grab a coffee a woman a homeless woman comes up to me wearing a, a dress and like a thin blanket she's crying so much that her tears are almost frozen on her face she sure. is sobbing and she comes up to me and she goes please please help me and i go what can i yeah what do you need she goes i'm hungry and i'm like hang right here i'm gonna get you there's a pizza place in there so i'm like i'm gonna go get a pizza and then I went in and got like four slices of like four big slices of pizza. And it took a minute. You know, they got to throw it in the oven and the whole shebang. And then I come out with all this pizza. They didn't even give me a box. Like, they gave me two plates for each slice. So I'm like holding this loose pizza. She's not there. I look down. She's a block ahead of me now, wailing and crying and running. And I'm like, hey. So then I start like trying to chase her down with these <laughs> loose leaf pizzas going, I don't know how and I did it for a block and then I realized I look crazier than her. And then I just went back to my flop house with these, yeah, with, these pe- with these pizzas and I didn't help the crying woman. And I was like, what is going on? I can't do this. I wish I was staying in a mall. Above, you know, like, above a flight simulator. Yeah, like sometimes you stay in those hotels where you're just connected to a mall, and you're like, "This is lifeless and boring." But at the other side, I'm not. It's not like I'm chasing a half naked woman down a freezing street with pizzas, trying to make sure she eats and gets warm. You know, you don't, there's no smell of uh, in, indiscernible stews coming from the hallway <laughs> at the Fairfield Inn at uh, <laughs> the Mall of Albany. Oh, my God. There's so many of those. But th- this last week was one of those weeks. Last week was one of those weeks where we had the highest of highs. On Thursday, I filmed uh, I filmed my new special. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out really well. It would be the nicest thing I've ever done. Uh, Production-wise, the set came off as well as it could have. A uh, uh, bunch of people came out to the show. We packed two shows, like 600 people uh, showed up, so thank you. And then it couldn't have been better, like highest of highs. And then the next night, I agreed to do a gig for my old cruise ship agent, because I had too many drinks at the Delta Lounge six months ago, and I was trying to help out my other buddy who wanted to get into cruises, so I messaged my cruise ship agent, who I haven't done, I haven't done a cruise since before the pandemic, but we still keep in touch, and I was like, hey, my buddy's looking to get into cruises, and he goes, yeah, man, I'll definitely check out his stuff. By the way, I got, got a, a Christmas show at a casino in Scottsdale, Arizona, and it was the two days right after my special taping, so I was like, and it wasn't much money, but it wasn't bad. And no and, pressure. And no pressure. Yeah. And I was like, and then I felt like I had to do the gig because I'm trying to help my buddy get with this cruise ship agent. Long story short, my buddy ends up getting some other agent, not working with the guy I tried to set him up with. And now, once the whiskey wear down from this <laughs> Delta Lounge, I'm like, what gig did I just accept? <laughs> so I went from Thursday performing in front of 600 people 
of people that love me, like my old childhood friends, my second and third grade teacher, Mr. Smith, wow. came out to the show. Like my favorite part of the entire evening wasn't even the sets. It was the in-between green room hang. My mother was there. All my friends were there. Uh, uh, my second and third grade teacher, Mr. Smith, and his wife were there. That was heartwarming. And then the next night... I'm going on after a Blues Brothers tribute and a Marilyn Monroe tribute and then 15 minutes of me bombing to senior citizens <laughs> at the Casino Arizona in Scottsdale, Arizona, only to be followed by like a Nat King Cole tribute or something. And I was like, man, comedy really giveth and taketh. <laughs> no, Nobody understood the bit when you opened up. You're like, why were both Blues Brothers fat? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, how are we doing tonight, folks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I was, I, I think I opened with, I never thought in my career I'd go on after Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> but here we are, Marilyn Monroe, I feel like I'm supposed to be, everyone was doing a tribute except for me. <laughs> More like, like Marilyn Monroe, oh no. <laughs> oh, and no, it was such no, a cringy no. show, Marilyn Monroe harassed an old man. Oh yeah, so she, Marilyn Monroe what? did a bit where every show she did this, I only watched one of the shows, you came to the second show. Yeah. And but she she goes out in the audience and mm -hmm. she gets an old man mm -hmm. to come and sit down and she does like a lap dance type of thing while kissing him all over. And you said the show you watched it was an old man on his what what yeah. anniversary? I can't remember what year, but they were they were old. Yeah, they so were, they were married for a while. Yeah. This is like 50 years of marriage. Yeah. And and pulls her up and he's super embarrassed. Yeah. red-faced and the wife looks mortified everyone in the audience looked mortified yeah he just humiliated her him and no one's laughing because it's supposed to be funny yeah everyone's doing like a polite chuckle yeah <laughs> it was so bad i'll tell you what that was most of the show was polite chuckles <laughs> the set you came to see me do was the best i did that weekend yeah and it was not a good set i thought you did great thank you but you also love me so there's like you know Weighted oh, indifference. I, I will say that it is so humbling to go from performing in front of 600 people that love you to go into a casino and afterwards they make you do a meet and greet <laughs> and a six-year-old woman goes, so how long have you been doing this? And then there's no way I'm going to look her in the eye and go, 17 years. So I said, this is my fifth time. This is my <laughs> and she goes, that's pretty good for fifth time. And I go, thank you. And I'm like, because there's no way I can look. Mm -hmm. I can't. I can't emotionally prepare for the judgment this six year old woman's going to give me for saying 17 years after she saw me bomb after a Marilyn Monroe act. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Which one were you? Were you Rod Stewart? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I was. I felt like there should have been a Bob Hope. Like that's who <laughs> I should have been. Yeah. It should have been Blues Brothers, Marilyn Monroe. Bob Hope, and then the rest of the show. And uh, I wonder who you were replacing, because according to their website, it's Blues Brothers, Nat Natalie Cole, not Nat King Cole. <laughs> oh, that's who it was, Natalie Cole. <laughs> that's a different person. <laughs> they announced Nat King Cole as just a white lady. Like, hmm, this is a real stretch. Rod Stewart and the Temptations. Yeah, Rod Stewart was a swap out. So last uh, week was Marilyn Monroe. The first two weeks was Marilyn Monroe. And then next, this coming week is Rod Stewart. Yes, it is. And then there's like an Elvis one later, I believe, at least on the flyer. What 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 do you have to do to become like when you're a Arizona, a Scottsdale impersonator? Like, what's the impersonation pool in Scottsdale that's getting these people to come for months at a time? I w I don't know. I think they always have to swap it up 
but I was in backstage listening to the conversation between the Temptations tribute and the Blues Brothers tribute, and they're all just swapping. They're like, oh, you know, Kenny's really killing it with his Prince tribute act. He's getting booked all over. Have you seen his Prince? His Prince is pretty top-notch. And it was just cool to be around a different group of entertainers. They're all doing heroin. You're like, you can <laughs> just do the impression on stage, man. What are you doing? No one can see this. You don't make enough money to do speedballs. Like, what are you doing? You can't Belushi it. Uh, yeah. Guy's yeah, yelling it, at his wife in the hallway. Buddy, stop doing the tribute. It was... It was <laughs> you're, you're, this is too much of a tribute. Yeah, buddy, this stop is, it. Yeah, this is uh, art imitating life at this point. I would love a, an impersonator where they don't know where the show starts, stops, and their real life ends. <laughs> Just crawling outside of Barry Gordy's mansion. Please let me back, Barry. <laughs> The best part was the Blues Brothers. One of the guys that I was talking to a bunch, I think he was a replacement for the Belushi character. And so they were like working on their steps in the back. And apparently every show he kind of messed something up. Mm -hmm. So he'd come back and he's like, yeah, I missed the high five or I missed the scoop doop. I should have scooped when he diddly duped. (laughs) And uh, it was funny because then I watched one of the shows and I watched them mess something up. But because the Blues Brothers are a comedy act, Mm -hmm. from the audience's standpoint, they're like, oh, they meant to do that. And they're like, no, there was a stern conversation in the back (laughs) (laughs) about, you missed this high five and you made me look dumb in front of this old lady with a Christmas sweater. if Belushi was still alive and he could see you do this, you think he'd be okay with that? If Dan Aykroyd walked in this building, would he be okay with that? Like, calm down, dude. I'm a replacement. I'm a replacement to that would a replacement impersonator in Scottsdale. I'm a replacement impersonator in Scottsdale. That's a who that's is a really cool guy. I talked to him a bunch in the back. He has like five kids. He lives in Zion, and he's a lounge singer in Vegas. And he stutter. He's studying volcanom volcanoes. Okay. I can't say the word volcanomany, volcanology, sure. whatever. He's studying volcanoes in his free time, singing a lounge, being a blues brother on this particular weekend. Volcanology. Volcanology. That's it. There's so many people that live interesting lives, like just fascinating lives. Like, That's the documentary I want to see. I don't want to see the one about you know Ariana Grande no! or Taylor yeah. Swift. I want to see the guy who's figuring it out. Let's yeah. still look at the. My passion. Totally. Yeah, but he like a lot of people, especially I, I think not just entertainment, but just regular. You fall into this thing you end up doing. You kind of fall into it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the guy, my cruise ship agent, Mike. He's a good guy. He was a he was a bartender in Seattle that ended up booking some nights in Seattle, and that led to somehow him booking major casinos. In Seattle, in the Seattle area, wow. like he booked like Joe Coy and all these big acts for these like Snoqualmish or these big casinos in the Washington area, and somehow that led to him working at Royal Caribbean as a booking agent, and then he left Royal Caribbean, started his own agency, then became a cruise ship agent. Then he like the guy at this casino was like, "Hey, can you put a show together for us? We need like a variety show." And that was twelve years ago. He puts this variety show together. It's still going. He's still a cruise ship, and he's like, he looked at me while we were just we were in between the blues brothers marilyn monroe some background dancers the temptations and me and he looks around and he goes how the hell did i fall into this <laughs> like this is a guy who's been doing this for years he goes dude i was a bartender in seattle 30 years ago That's i don't crazy. know how the hell this happened i'm over here trying to make sure we have two blues brothers for this weekend and how was your weekend not good yeah. and he's like i'm 65 years old what am i doing out here and did uh, any of the impersonators have like were they like, I, I get it. 
like I know this isn't like were they all like really serious about it or were any of them like understood like yeah this is kind of weird right like I'm 60 years old doing an impersonation no 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 that's actually what I appreciated about yeah they weren't jaded and they took their craft really seriously yeah I think it would be more depressing if they were jaded right yeah Well, because you always, I always think, when I think impersonator, I think of this moment when I walk down the Las Vegas Strip and they have the knockoff Disney characters Mm -hmm. and there's a guy who's wearing a knockoff Mickey Mouse head outfit and then he takes it off to reveal that he's a meth head and the look on a four-year-old's face that he did it in front of. Changes everything. Horrifying. So to me, when I think Tribute Act, for some reason, I always remember that, that it's like a knockoff and that person actually smokes meth. But then you meet these people and you get to work with them and they take it so serious and they're really trying to nail it and they do a good job. They do a good job of like singing, dancing. They're really trying to like uh, do the tribute properly. And it's kind of amazing. Like I was talking to the Marilyn Monroe lady and she's like, I haven't done Marilyn Monroe since before the pandemic. So I haven't done this character in three years. I, and, and I forget the other ones that she does, but she's like, I can't imagine doing that. Like no matter when I do comedy, I'm doing me. But imagine like, no, 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 this week you're doing, uh, you're doing Seinfeld. And then I like I haven't done Seinfeld in three years. I got to remember these uh, <laughs> these stupid jokes. You, you know? trip going onto the stage like Seinfeld, not Kramer. Seinfeld, <laughs> not Kramer. You know, Hello, <laughs> coming all cool. Yeah, I, I don't know. I they really took it seriously. So that part was um, was cool to be around. Really, the only depressing part of the show was that it was at a casino, and casinos are the most depressed. Like, everyone's injured in there. There's yeah. people missing limbs. Mm-hmm. Like, I just remember eating orange chicken in the in the uh, court, the food court area in between shows, and there's a guy with no leg and a scooter just drilling through, and you're like... And there was, like, this other lady who's just bent over, just <laughs> hoofing these noodles in her face. <laughs> and the weirdest part is you just see the sea of depression. Injured people, old people, sick people, sad people, and they're just blasting Christmas music through the casino. <laughs> Here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus. <laughs> like, and then this guy just wheels in with a nub, and you're like, this is, we need Jesus now more than ever. But he wrapped the tinsel around his, his stub. Yes. <laughs> like, well, at least he's in the spirit. <laughs> oh, wow, your, uh, your nub looks like a candy cane. That Well done, sir. <sighs> this poor bastard. Yeah, so it was... It's really the casino that depresses me. Every show I've ever done at a casino, I've never felt good about what I'm doing with my life or where my career is at. I just did Atlantic City not too long ago, and in line for food somewhere, there was a got to somehow got talking to the lady in front of us, and she was telling, "Oh, my daughter works here, and we take care of the care kids sometimes." Like, "Oh, that's so cool!" Like, I wonder what she does. Five minutes later, we see her show up and eat dinner with them, and she is clearly a hooker. Oh, oh no! And like they watched the kid because the mom's out doing hooker stuff, and then she like sat for a few minutes and then left. And I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> she were oh she works here." It was the weirdest thing I'd ever Do seen. You have like take them home. Did you see your mom? Got to go Man. to her job. <laughs> that just made me realize there's so many families that are going because you know that yeah. Blues Brothers guy. He brought his family that weekend. 
And yeah. so like they went to the arcade and he's I'm like, that's so cool. Like they walk around like, oh, what? And they meet other kids. What brings you, you guys to, oh, my dad's a Blues Brothers impersonator. And then that kid's are like, oh, my mom's at work. And she's over there and like some little skirt walking around. <laughs> You're like, damn it. Damn it. I love a good tribute fair. act though. A good tribute act. I love a Beatles tribute act. I've probably seen two dozen in my life. Uh, Meta- love it. Uh, there's a Metallica tribute band, Damage Inc., Sure. In uh, San Diego, they're pretty badass. They're pretty Hell good. Yeah. I've watched them more times than I've seen actual Metallica. I've seen a lot of yeah. Beatles tr- tributes. Yeah. There used to be one every Sunday at BB uh, King's when that was still around in Times Square. Ooh. Took a few dates there, a few first dates. Ooh, never got, never got the second one. <laughs> got the second <laughs> they didn't understand the irony in it either. <laughs> I remember it wasn't a second date, but we had been dating for a little while, and I dragged you to a Metallica uh, cover band. In Ocean Beach, do you remember that? I will never forget. Yeah, you lasted four songs. Maybe the second song they played uh, "For Whom the Bell Tolls." I remember this. And by the second one of those, she's like, I'm going outside. <laughs> I didn't have earplugs. It was so loud. Yeah, yeah. She went and asked for earplugs, and they're like, what? You know? And Don't be on your phone. You're, you're supposed to listen. No, I'm just hoping it reactivating my Tinder. <laughs> just trying to get that thing swiped up again. I want to swipe left on a uh, on a Beatles tribute guy instead. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, I enjoy a good tribute act. On a cruise ship, I made friends with this guy, Craig, uh, and he is a uh, Elton John tribute act. Mm-hmm. And I didn't re- I went and watched a show because he watched my stand up show. We chatted a little, and then I went and watched his show, and it made me an Elton John fan. I didn't realize how many Elton John songs I like. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's Elton John. Yeah. Oh, that's Elton John. I love all these songs. Elton John's great. That's how I feel about the Beatles. Some people don't realize how many deep Dude. their catalog is. So the Beatles yeah. are, you know, it's funny when you meet someone that doesn't like the Beatles, because I used to think I didn't like the Beatles. Yeah. And uh, and then I heard some of the songs, and I was like, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. I forgot I was a fan. <laughs> I, for, I, for, I didn't realize, yeah, you yeah. know. That's funny. But uh, but yeah, last weekend couldn't have gone better. It was uh, the really seeing my teacher was the big thing. My second and third grade teacher, Mr. Smith, came by. You got to meet him. Mm-hmm. He was like, uh, and he came in exactly like a teacher should. He had like a long ponytail shirt tucked in. Came with his wife. Mm-hmm. You got to meet him for the first time. So sweet. Yeah, and my mom was there, and he was one of those teachers where. Uh, you know, everyone has one of those like really good teachers mm-hmm. that they have. He was one of those teachers. We moved, and I should have switched schools, but he and my mom talked about it, and he would pick me up from my mom's job, which was close enough to the school. So I would ride with my mom down to the retirement home early, like 5 in the morning, because that's when her shift started. Damn. And then at 7, Mr. Smith would pick me up from there and drive me to school. And then afterwards, my mom would pick me up and then drive me home. Was he your current teacher at that time? At the time, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he taught second and third grade. Uh, he taught second grade, and then he moved to third, so then we all like applied to be in his class. And uh, on top of that, he noticed how blind I was. Because he's like, he's like, yeah, I had to sit you in the front row, and you were still like this. And he knew, I think he knew my mom was busy and a single mom, so he took me to the optometrist. Wow. And uh, he bought me my first pair of glasses and never let my mom pay him back. And which is very incredibly sweet. But then I got to hear the other part of the story this mm-hmm. past weekend where he's like, yeah, I remember I took you and they did all the eye things and then you go over to pick out your frames 
And he's like, I remember you went over there and you're looking through all the frames and you picked the most expensive one on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, oh, no. And, but he's like, all right, I guess. And then I was like, man, what a sweet guy. Mm-hmm. You picked the most expensive one. Also, what a jerk. What a jerk of a... I, I was poor. I should have known to look at the price tags. Yeah. But I think at optometry places, they kind of hide the price on the... on the, on the. the. Uh, yeah, you were a kid. Well, they, yeah. also, they also di- dilute you. And then, then you're like, go pick at your glasses. Oh, yeah. So I'm out there so you blind. You have no idea yeah. what you're doing. You're just looking at it. These, yeah. these look like glasses. Th- these look good. Yeah, I always picked out... I always picked out high-end frames, I guess. Good but taste. yeah, what a what a nice good old Mister Smith. It, it really reminded me of all the because uh, my closing bit of the special is all about father figures, mm-hmm. and then the fact that he was there it just reminded me of all the good teachers I've had. Also reminded me of some of the bad ones, but like <laughs> yeah. the ones that were like you you experienced- the ones that saw Mister Smith taking you to school and they were like, I'll take him to school. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're not taking me anywhere. <laughs> yeah, you, you think about the teachers like a Mr. Smith that go the extra, extra mile yeah, yeah. and are just incredibly yeah. kind people. And if you're like, man, if every teacher cared as much as you, we'd have such a great society. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that, if we only had teachers that cared that much, we would have like 50 teachers in the entire country. <laughs> and it would be like, all right, dude, every class is it's just not enough. But uh but yeah, you think of all those teachers that kind of come by and you're like, that's that because they don't get paid anything. They don't pay them well enough for what they do. And they, you know, not to get all whatever about it. And then there's some where you're like, they pay you to do this? Like you look you're like you're barely qualified. <laughs> like my favorite in high school, we had ROP classes, which were um, paid for not through tax dollars. These were trade classes like wood shop. Oh. AutoCAD, Metal Shop, Auto Shop. Those weren't paid through the state of California. They were paid through like kind of private funding yeah. to make sure that we have skilled workers. Like, you know, so these teachers. God forbid the state covers that. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> we got to get them into the University of California system. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, there's no. There's no UC San Diego woodshop class. So, like, so they had to bring in these. You see ca- that car driving? <laughs> this is how. <laughs> yeah, so they would bring in, and I remember Trayon Sionka, Mr. T, as he liked to be called. He was our AutoCAD teacher, and he was so cool. Clearly politically different from all the other teachers, but so kind and, like, genuinely cried every year when we had to leave he would tell some story about birds that never showed up again <laughs> and uh and he was great and then you had our woodshop teacher mr brent who was the most like if you've ever met someone in their 50s where nothing in their life worked out and you just see it exude out of their pores every day just hate like you could tell this guy probably wanted he just loved wood <laughs> he just wanted to work with wood, but he couldn't make a living at working with wood without having to teach kids that were high. Like, that's a stoner class. You're not getting the best and brightest. You're getting the kids that are, they're going to, they're like, can I make a bong out of wood? Like, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's them. And he had to deal with these damn kids. I remember he was so angry all the time he hated all of us did he have all his fingers he had all his fingers the metal shop guy did not yeah metal shop guy was missing a ring finger and he goes Our, uh, ours had nubs a lot, yeah. of, a lot of nubs <laughs> a lot of uh above the just above the the top knuckles were oh gone my God. i yeah. used to have i used to have nightmares about wood shop 
I would have this dream because you have to use a table saw. Table saw. Mr. T took you home one or two times. <laughs> he drove you to school once or twice. His <laughs> <laughs> head turned into I'll a table saw. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but yeah, you use this table saw. If you don't know a table, it's just a table with a big blade, and you got to push the wood through it. And I used to have this reoccurring bad dream where I'm pushing the wood through, and for some reason there's a jelly donut over here, mm, yeah. and I hit the jelly donut, and there's. And just fly right into the, and then just, oh my God. So every time I would use the table, so I remember I'd have my thumbs tucked in. I'd be like, dear God, oh. open your eyes. Yeah, like, I don't want to see. And then, and then there would be like one piece and then you would have to do another. And then I'd have to like, I was making a mantle clock. So I had to cut like 10 of these goddamn things. And there was another one called the rip saw. Dude, this was a giant saw connected to the wall with a handle. It had springs on the side. So you'd have to... This is how Mr. Brent taught me to use the ripsaw. He goes, This is the ripsaw. It's very dangerous, so be careful and listen to me. You're going to want to pull it gently, but you're going to want to push and pull at the same time. That was the instructions. That doesn't make sense to... You want to push and pull at the same time? Oh, you mean... Uh, defy the laws of physics of pushing and pulling at the same time. You got to go forwards to go backwards. Yeah, and I, it, he terrified me with he's like, I'm sure you'll do fine. And then he just walks off. So now I'm left there with the instructions, be careful, this is very dangerous, you want to push and pull at the same time. And then I just very sheepishly went, and I was like, Oh, you meant pull slowly. That's what you meant. Not push and pull. Oh, that's the one. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. I should have said that instead of push and pull at the same time. Just pull slowly and then have the blade do the work. He's like, I'm, I got tenure. I don't really care what happens. Cut Dude, your arm he off. did not care. <laughs> I remember for extra credit, you could show up on Saturday and do some work. But Because on Saturday, he had an adult class where adults would come in and do the woodworking. And we showed up, and I was like, man, I bet you he's much nicer to the adults. You know, because these are like grown. They're not going to take crap from this guy. He was ruder to them. Really? He was so, he would go up to like a guy that was his age and go, what the hell are you doing? That's not how this is done. Jesus, how long you been in this class? I'm like, that guy paid to be here. <laughs> I wonder if it was like a, you thought that they paid to be there, but they were like, it was like a work release program or like a <laughs> jobs training program where he's like, these cr criminals looking for a, a, a skill to take somewhere. They're making prison birdhouses. <laughs> <laughs> I have a workshop class where I make license plates. <laughs> what? I can't believe they let us do that. In I high can't school. either. Like the fact that they I, had, but like you can't even go to a, a, a an actual woodworking. I don't think factory they have it. and not take like two weeks of safety class before you even touch a machine. I mean, how many woodworking factories are left? I don't trust a high schooler to wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. Dude. Let alone w w work wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was not around anymore. I mean, I never did the metal shop, but I heard of a lot of. Injuries out there. Sorry for burping into the microphone. I heard a lot of injuries in the metal shop. Auto shop, kind of the same thing. I only did wood shop senior year, I think, for half a semester. And then, yeah, like, but those teachers were cool. Mr. Brent sucked. And if you're watching this, you sucked. You sucked. You shouldn't have been around people. You should have built it. You should have taken all your woodworking knowledge and built yourself a cell that you couldn't get out of. And I think you would have been happier. Just in there, sand in the wood. I think that's all he ever wanted to do. He just wanted to sit down and sand some wood. You want to use some good 20-grit sandpaper? Sand that wood just nice. Sand it just nice. Bob Ross for sanding. 
Maybe there's a little sanded tree. Imagine if Bob here. Ross had to teach someone to paint instead of talking about it into a camera, and if he was just a total dick. That's how it started. Is that how he it started? He was an art director. He was a teacher. He was like a painting teacher. Yeah, but imagine if he like hated people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like if he only enjoyed painting by himself and talking about it into the camera, but then he looks over and some guy just like looks like he barfed on his canvas, and you're like, God damn, what you been doing? You know, and he just turns into a hillbilly for some reason. You're like, what happened to happy mistakes, Bob Ross? What happened to happy little accidents? Oh, that's out the window. He saw your brush strokes. Uh... But yeah, I, I don't know. Like all those different teachers that come in. Mr. Smith was a, a saint. Uh, there's a couple others that came by. Mr. Browning, who I think I liked him a lot because he was an English teacher that was super calm. And he just goes, oh, I don't care if you don't do your homework. You'll just fail. But I'm not going to bust your balls about it. And I really respected that. It actually made me do my homework. I'm sure. Yeah. I wish that, I wish that teachers would just t teach you like an adult sometimes. But Every he, time I was ever treated like an adult, same thing. I was like, oh, yeah, this is on me. This is on and me. And then I do it. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't, like, any, of course, this was in high school. I don't know if that would work in, like, elementary school. But it was in high school, and he was like, he would be like, this is the book we're reading. There would be a pop quiz. The kids that were failing, he never even, he was, I think he would, the most he would go is, like, you know, you talk to him on the side, like, do you need help or what's the issue? And then if you realize they just didn't want to do the work, be like, ah, oh, that's fine. I don't, oh, yeah. yeah, I don't care if you fail. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I get nothing out of this. I'm just here to talk about the books, you know? And, uh, yeah, the way he would talk about the books that we were reading, I think, you know, I don't know. I, I, like he was really good. A couple other teachers came by and then the, the ones that really stick sometimes are the really good ones and the really bad ones. Mm. And the ones in between, you're like, what do you do? You know? Can you imagine being just a nameless, faceless? Yeah. <laughs> just our trashing teacher. There's, there's yeah. plenty. There's plenty. I've had teachers come out to like when I go back to shows in my hometown. Yeah. So if there's one place to do it. It's at this theater in like the little square. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting. Pe all people you know from high school and like things come out and see you, but they say stupid shit like, "So when are you gonna get famous? Like, uh, oh, yeah. when are you gonna be successful at this? <sighs> okay. Well, yeah. That's yeah. Not... <laughs> that's always a the funny old line. Town show. <laughs> there's always one there is always one there's another one mr adkison i keep in touch with him he's a good dude but like there's always one person that kind of does do that where they go when are you going to be famous at this yeah or when are you going to succeed at this and i don't think they realize how healthy of a middle class there is in yeah. comedy <laughs> like it, it, you know the, the tom seguras and and burke kreischer's and all those comics of the world the matt rife's even like those are the one percenters. I mean, they're multi-millionaires, probably live in mansions, I'm sure. But there's like a real healthy middle class of comedians that make a good living. Yeah. And they're not stressing about the rent and they have food to eat. And there's a good number in there. And then there's a good number of, you know, people really trying to make a name for themselves. And they're sharing an apartment with an Uber Eats scooter driver who has to park <laughs> the scooter in the living room. It turns out he doesn't have a roommate. It's just him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that scooter, he's no, been that's my roommates. Yeah. You don't live with anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Later, you find out he's been calling that scooter dad for the last four years. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I, I gotta see. go charge up dad. Yeah. <laughs> dad, your wheel, you're spinning your wheels. You got to figure out your life. That was a, that was a, that was a pun. That was a good one. I, I tried like a pun. I liked it. It was a fine spin pun. your wheels. It was a scooter. Spin your wheels, make a deal. But um. But yeah, so now that uh, I guess I filmed the special, where they're gonna send it around, probably won't get bought by anybody. But you know, they got to give the no thank you email, and then it will end up on YouTube. Sure. 
and then we got to figure out the new jokes. That's the best part is trying to do the new jokes, trying to figure out what the hell is going to work. You see the clock of knowing when the special's coming out before you need to have I know. the new hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope no one buys it. And I'm like, please, six months from now, give me something. Yeah. Because I just have a bunch of jokes that I didn't put on the special and a bunch of jokes from before the special that never went on anything. It's just a hodgepodge of crap. And uh, and then I got these new ideas. Like this one is like too dark. I told you about it. Mm-hmm. I did it once, and it's too. Du- and it's not me, but I like it. Fine, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you <laughs> the joke. The bit, Maybe yeah. you can take it. But it's uh, or my favorite would be like, oh no, no, three of the comics already do this, and you're like, oh, well, that <laughs> kind of worked out. <laughs> but it's just based on this idea that we're not as divided as uh, social media or the news would make us think. Like, even people that, even the two groups that don't agree, they're only off by, like, semantics. They're only off by a little bit. Details, if you will. Like, two of the biggest things we have that separate us are, like, people that are into the Second Amendment and the people that are pro-abortion. Because usually people that are into the Second Amendment, anti-abortion. People that are pro-abortion, anti-gun. And they always act like these two groups are a million miles apart. It's like they're not. They're both clearly cool with the death of kids. They just can't agree on the age. <laughs> and that's details, man. Like, yeah. they just can't agree. Is it six weeks or six years? Not it's a like, good joke. it's right there. It's right there. <laughs> and uh, I tried that once, like a, six months ago, and I got a good lord from the audience. And uh, I never tried it again, but I'm going to try to bring it back and tease a little. Maybe the death of kids is the hard part. Yeah, that's the tough It could sell. be, you know, they don't care if kids die. Maybe the death what, of kids is like a harsh way yeah, of saying yeah. it. But kids dying, maybe. Maybe that is how you soften a, the blow. So just soften it a little bit, yeah. Maybe, yeah, kids dying. They don't care about kids dying. They, yeah. just don't, they can't decide on what age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't care if it, they just want to know if it's before school or during school. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know if that joke is going to work after we do a joke about me smelling the art or you smelling the art at an art museum. You know, it's just like, where does that joke go? Goes right yeah. at the beginning. Go right at the next. <laughs> That's how you open a set, and then you go, "Where are we going from now?" You guys ever think about killing children? <laughs> anyway, um, you got, how do you guys like your cats? <laughs> I, yeah, what's up with cat? We got automatic cat feeders at our house. I uh, that was funny because after we finished the special, Emma's like, "Well, you get to work on new jokes at this casino gig." And then I remember I yeah. went out there and I told the oldest joke that I had of right off the top because I'm like. I can't win these people over. <laughs> so I'm like, they have tsunami evacuation signs in San Diego. It's a joke I've had for like 10 years. And then it did okay. That was the worst part. It just did okay. <laughs> like it didn't even I do good. I hate that. Well, no, uh, I hate when it does anything. Like if you go back in the archives because you're lost or something's going bad and you're just like, I got to think of something. And then that joke kills. You're like, oh, come on. Oh, dude. <laughs> I was doing this to just prove that I'm doing bad. <laughs> That is more disheartening than anything. I had that moment. I told Emma about it where I did my old Louisville joke. I went on after Gaff because I was trying to get ready for this Sirius XM thing where we were going to do like a old jokes recording for mm-hmm. them. And uh, I was getting ready for it. And I was at Gotham. And I had to go on after Gaffigan again. This is my second time going on after. I'm like, damn it. And But it went well. I did my newer jokes that weren't going to be on in the beginning. It went well. And then I closed with two old bits. And they crushed so hard that I, like, 
it was the hardest I've ever crushed in that room in the year that I've been performing there. So however many sets that is. And I remember being so sad (laughs) that these two old jokes crushed so much harder than the new jokes that I like. And I just remember like, I've never been more sad at a great set. Isn't that the worst? Yeah. And then I'm on the subway going, man, I guess I can't beat those jokes. Those were... That's my Enter Sandman, and <laughs> now I'm over here trying to fiddle around with, like, Saint Anger, and I'm like, yeah, but this is what I'm feeling right now, and you're like, yeah, but we want Enter Sandman, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, that can be disheartening sometimes. Yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. I, uh, there, the other idea I was messing around with is uh, Emma and I are, are always on the opposite ends of the spectrum as far as what we order at a restaurant. Like, I... For whatever reason, she ends up ordering like a really masculine meal all the time, and I order real feminine stuff. And they, deli- and then, they deliver it to yeah. the appropriate plate to person. <laughs> yes, and they go, huh? And then we're like, uh-uh. And then, huh? And every time, it's we've been calling it out the last few times, and it happened again this morning. Like you had eggs and toast and like a thing. I guess just the eggs made it manly, but I ordered like a yogurt parfait with like granola and honey and... <laughs> raspberries and, and then it comes out well it's because you ordered them raspberries yeah. so I'm like, do you have boysenberry and they, it comes out like one looks like it's made for someone who's about to do real work today and the other one looks like it's made for the queen of england and then he, the waitress comes out and she's like huh oh oh, oh. and then i was oh. like <laughs> and i'm over here with like whipped cream in my mustache you almost didn't see her because you were too busy putting your blush on <laughs> Is your mirror open? You're like, no, that's mine. How dare you? <laughs> Let me move my uh, my purse so you can put this plate down. I, but yeah, that's what it is. Like she's she's over there. Everything she orders, she has to be like, uh, do you have a steak knife? I need a steak knife for this. And I'm over here. Do you, do you have a dainty fork? I need a dainty fork to pick around the things I don't like. <laughs> do you have a steak knife? I'm sorry. Also, uh, do you have any milk alternatives? Uh, <laughs> milk alternatives. My tum tum. My tum tum. My tum tum gets boo boo sometimes. <laughs> I don't know if that's how women talk. I just, <laughs> I was making it more of a wuss than a, a woman, but yeah. you know. But that's yeah. how it. Do your impression of a woman. <laughs> I don't think you're doing it right, Mike. I just hate women. <laughs> oh, listen, Mike's just saying they shouldn't be allowed to vote. Well, they I, shouldn't have never gotten the vote to begin whoa! with. <laughs> the big statements. <laughs> it, isn't that an old Orny Adams joke where he goes, uh, he goes, how the, uh, he goes, women. weren't allowed to vote before 1920 or something. And he goes, they had a vote on that. But only men could vote. How did we lose that vote? (laughs) How did we lose that one? How did we lose that vote? That's so dumb. I love Orny Adams. He has one of my favorite jokes of all time. He is is a really... I mean, he's been underrated his whole career. Uh, Obviously, that Seinfeld documentary didn't do him any favors, but uh, really, like, I've never seen him not crush. Full, like, full... Gun to gun to the crowd, murder. Yes, I mean it's it's unbelievable. His Christmas lights, women are like Christmas lights. When one light goes out, the whole string is dead, is empty, and then you got to go around fixing the lights, being like, "Is this the problem? Is this the problem? Is that the problem?" And he climbs the stage. Is that the problem? <laughs> it's such a such a perfect joke. He's so good. You know who has Orny Adams' energy? Not saying that they're they're different, but he has that energy. Is your buddy Nathan McIntosh? He's got a little bit of it. Yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. that good Orny Adams energy. Where I watched him, one of the most impressive things I saw was I think I told you this, or maybe I talked about it on here, but we were at Gotham, and uh, 
the crowd sucked. Sure. And the first half of his set, they were treating him the way they treated all of us, just kind of not interested. And then the mic cord fell out of his thing, out of the microphone. He couldn't put it back in, so he didn't even try. He just did the rest of his set a cappella, yeah. and he flipped him yep. and destroyed with no mic and just material energy and pizzazz, just gave it to him. And I was Dude. like, wow. That's my, I've, I've done that intentionally sometimes. Just to give yourself the upper If it's a dead room, hand. I yeah. turn the mic off and go, if you guys aren't listening, you guys are like, I'm not going to, I'm just going <laughs> to yell at you for the next 20 minutes. And it pulls them, it's, it doesn't always work, but sometimes it's like the only thing that I've found that I can bring them, bring That's crowds so back cool. from the dead is just stand there and scream at them. Because mm -hmm. it, it's weird because it makes them listen more, mm -hmm. even though they're, you're not being amplified now, but you're being louder. Yes. Yeah. So they're like, huh? Exactly. Like, I got to yeah. I gotta pay attention. It's almost like a pro wrestler in the 80s that didn't come out and yell into the camera. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to kill you on Sunday. Jake the Snake would come out and be like, I drank my own piss. And you're like, whoa. Whoa. No, 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 because it tastes good. Yeah. No, that's not the, okay. It's for the electrolytes. Do you remember Raven? Yes. So he had to live around us, and he started doing stand-up when I started doing stand-up. I love those guys' promos. Wow. Where he would just be, he would just be like, and then the, the raven is the... To quote the Raven, never. and then uh, and he was never get to anything. He would just keep, keep like pontificating with never finding. And then then when we get out to the to the field, it's like a field where there's lots of deer. And then the deer, here's what's gonna happen. It's like, dude, you have said nothing, and I'm still in. Yeah, they <laughs> say can, nothing. You can see the camera guy keep doing like the <laughs> promo move, but it didn't it didn't match. <laughs> like the in and out, like ah. They played an old promo of. Uh, Captain Lou Albano and whoever his tag team partner was back in the 60s somewhere. And they did some I've never seen before, except for maybe that one time that Rory Scovel and John Doerr did the stand-up set together on Conan. Remember that set? Oh, yeah. So they did kind of the same thing, but this was in a wrestling promo in the 60s where they both talked the entire time, and they were both were saying essentially the same things, but differently. Yeah. We're gonna kill these guys on Saturday. They're not. They don't know what. They, but it was weird. But they would link up and say the same things on point like five times during the promo. Yeah. Almost where you're like, did you guys work on this for a year, or <laughs> yeah, did this, this is... just, or did you show up hungover to this TV studio yeah. and just nail it on the first take? And you know the answer is more the first one. But it was just amazing to see. And if anyone hasn't seen that set, the John Doerr, Rory Scoville. Conan set. It's a piece of art. It really is. It's a piece of damn art. I I've, I remember people being like, I can't believe they would book them both at the same and make them go up at the same time. That's crazy. And it's like, are you are you dumb? How, how did you not get that? <laughs> <laughs> like that's not like high level comedies like to get that. Like that's just clearly this is a joke. Clearly this was well put together. And uh, the people that think that that is really how that happened, they really so think good. that the Kardashians don't know the cameras are there. <laughs> and they're like, what? Wait, no, well, I thought, no, she has a private equity firm. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the reality shows are, are documentaries in their world. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which we've been watching a ton of documentaries. I know we're getting close on time, but... Uh, what was it? The last documentary we watched had one of the funniest moments we've seen in a while in a documentary. It was Love, what's it called? Love One? Love Has One. Love Has One. It's on HBO. And uh, it's about this lady who's a hippie and somehow ends up getting a bunch of followers, blah, blah, blah. But the best moment is they move into their new like clubhouse 
and in Colorado. And they were warned before they moved into this clubhouse. They're like, uh, they were smoking at a park and some residents came by and they're like, don't smoke in the park. This is a high wildlife area or wildfire area. This stuff's going to burn up. Like, don't smoke. And they're like, oh, okay. And then this, the most vacant eyed woman in the group, she's like, yeah, I showed up and the leader asked me to sage the house. And so I started saging the house. And next thing you know, whoosh, <laughs> I lit the, I burned the house on fire. <laughs> and she burned the house to the ground <laughs> while trying to get demons out of it with sage. And uh, just the way she told it with her vacant eyes, like she, she looked like she didn't stop saging once the fire started. <laughs> like she had that look on her face, like once the curtain caught, whoop, we'll come back around to that. <laughs> she kind of. <laughs> I got the sage really hard. This house yeah. is wanting to catch on fire. <laughs> we got a demon over we here. We got any more sage? <laughs> How about some water? <laughs> is this the same one where the lady thinks she's spiritually manifesting Robin Williams? Yes. yes. Okay, I got to yeah. see this one. Yeah, she. It's it's very funny. Uh, I mean, she also dies, so it's sad because they keep drinking this thing called something silver, colloidal silver. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And which I think might have real silver in it. it they does. never explained what it was. Yeah. But it turned this woman blue. Yep. She died of liver failure because apparently your liver can't process silver. Who would have thought of that? And she also mummified herself. Yeah, she pretty much mummified herself, and they kept the body after she died. They didn't know what to do with it, so they kept the. This documentary has everything. This cult raised money this one guy michael who was in charge of the money once this woman died and she realized that they were keeping the body he closed all the bank accounts stole all the money sure. which he was planning to do all along classic move classic michael yeah and then <laughs> the other lunatics are just worshiping this dead body covered in christmas lights and a blanket and uh they were eventually all arrested by the cops but then they realized then they dropped the charges because they realized like you know they weren't like they didn't kill her intentionally and they didn't like mess with the body but i remember in the interviews they're like they asked one of the guys like you're an intelligent man you just drove a deceased body over three state lines you know that's illegal right and he's like well i didn't think about that at the time <laughs> he thought he was just shipping god who this sure. they thought this woman was god because robin williams said so sure. um, doesn't she also like transmit like alive people what? Doesn't she like say, oh, I also channeled Donald Trump? Oh, yeah, and Donald mm -hmm. Trump was mm -hmm. Yeah, there's like people that yeah. aren't dead. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't think you're... It makes no sense. Yeah. It was, it, this cult was the perfect mix of like dead people, conspiracy theories, like I'm sure a few of them raided the Capitol, you know? <laughs> A anti oh, they're Antifa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're all of them. <laughs> they're QAnon. Yeah, they're QAnon. They're like it was. Uh, that's one of the things that I don't think maybe a lot of people talked about is how much the pandemic with the vaccine really unified rednecks and hippies. Yeah. Like there's like people with dreads and some guy with a gun, and they're both like, "Don't mess with my body," and they're like, "Hell yeah, dude!" What? Yeah, you, you want to do yoga? And they're like, "Hell no!" All right, well, I was just testing stretching for the devil, <laughs> as we call it. <laughs> stretching for the devil. <laughs> But yeah, it was uh, that was a really good documentary, and I never laughed so much at a house fire as, <laughs> as, as listening to that lady go. I just started saging, and then whoosh—that's how she described it. Whoosh! Killed the whole so house got on fire. We all died. Jesus, okay. dude! And she was a mother of three. Makes me feel like I could I could run a cult. I, I think a comic could be an easy cult oh, leader for sure. without even trying. For sure. I mean, well, some of them 
depending on how strong your podcast is, you might already have one. That's a good point. You already got the supplements, and you're, you, you're already... <laughs> who are you talking about? <laughs> who aren't we talking about? You know? Uh, but the, uh, the actually, the part that made me realize I'll never be in a cult is, like, they had all this footage that they shot of the cult, and they're always together in these houses. A bunch of people in one house hanging out all the time. And I hate people so much, and I'm so antisocial. That's how I, I turn to Emma. I'm like, this is how I know I'll never be in a cult. You always have to be around people. You always There's always one guy with a guitar and another guy that's like, more Molly, please. And I'm like, how do you? I think those are for people that can't think. Like, I love being alone and being in my head and yeah. thoughts. These are people who their alone thoughts are, wow, I'm really sad. And then they need someone around to go, well, let me look at your palm. Let me rub some patchouli on you. And you're like, I would hate that. I would hate every aspect yeah, of that. I'm not into it. Yeah, I'm not into it at all. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm like the odds of me becoming the Unabomber are way higher than me joining like the Proud Boys or like a cult or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of the same people that like, they just didn't get enough of what they needed out of an MLM. What's an MLM? Multi pyramid schemes. Oh yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. And they're like, ah, oh, I just I think I could do more. I'm like, <laughs> well, have you heard about my friends that live in a bus down the street? <laughs> I like buses. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of wheels. <laughs> get, get me in. Anyone here need essential oils? Oh, it's the perfect group. They need patchouli anyway. <laughs> huge customer base. Same thing. I, I don't know. I uh, I said this last week or a couple weeks ago, but. The loneliness in society is why everyone's joining groups. Yeah. And then slowly those groups, you're like, then the house burned down and I lost my kids. Or then we stormed the Capitol. I thought I was just, I was trying to make friends. <laughs> and I think that's honestly, before people join these groups that end up becoming this thing that's bigger than they expected it to be. Yeah. I think initially they were just like, I'm lonely. <laughs> and you show up to the sage burning day while the, everyone's on fire with a, sh a dish to, sh to pass. <laughs> Like, I brought scalloped potatoes. I thought this was a fun this was a no, book club. There was a girl. Remember the girl that lost all the weight? Mm -hmm. She showed up late to the cult. <laughs> and she showed up late while the woman's dying. Like, this woman is down to, like, 100 pounds, wow. the main lady. She's clearly dying. And after a week, she's like, I snuck into the room and called my mom. I'm like, can you give me a hotel and get me out of here? This woman's turning blue. <laughs> like, that's why, like, for you to be fully invested in a cult, you got to be at ground level. Yeah. Ground level, back when you're just trying to sell soap on the internet. And then slowly the owner goes, I'm God. And you're like, maybe you are. <laughs> and, then, and then you build in. But you can't come in late when the woman's already blue and 100 pounds and be like, well, I can't buy in now. I wasn't here when she was normal. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's at that point, Bitcoin has already fallen. Yeah. <laughs> it's stupid to get it at this point. <laughs> you missed the rocket, man. Yeah, it's like reading all the articles about Sam Friedman. Who, Sam Bankman Fried? Bankman, Bankman Fried, the guy who stole all the FTX or whatever, and being like, you know, this Bitcoin sounds like a solid investment. You know, it's just some guy running it. Yeah. And then I think I trust him. That's a good guy. You know why they trusted him? Because his parents were ethics professors. That's seriously why they trust. And they were him? like most of the people are like, well, his parents are. Who else is? Who's going to not give us the most ethic person on earth? On earth, we got a guy with his ethics professors, and now he's going to do like his the rest of his life. He's probably going to be behind bars. Dude, I don't trust anyone with my money. Anybody who's like, when everyone's like, 
this is the guy. Like, whoo, no, he's not. Never. Uh, Elon's the next to go. There's no way that this yeah. guy gets gets away with all the the crazy shit he's doing. If there's ever not any, to turn this serious. No, no, <laughs> but it is serious. Like, obviously, like the people that pick Elon as their guy, you're just like, do you not have? Like, if you were on a game show, you'd pick the wrong door every time. You're like, yeah. that one that's on fire looks interesting. And you're like, no, that one just got saged. Leave yeah. it alone. Like, yeah, let's make a deal. You get the zonk. And you're like, hell yeah. <laughs> well, you don't get to take the donkey home, man. It's a set piece. Yeah, popularity has never been a good barometer for success and intelligence. No, God, no. Like, uh, there we watched the first episode of uh, Young Sheldon, which I know has been a show around for a while, but he's about to go to high school and he's nine. And his mom's like, how do you, he's like trying to give him tips for how to interact in high school, even though he's too young. And he's like, uh, she's like, how do you think high school is going to go for you? Uh, she's like, oh, I just figured everyone would notice my intelligence and make me their leader. It's just <laughs> such a great sentence. And I go, when in the history of humanity has intelli- have we ever made the smartest person our leader? Never. Nope. Never have we picked, hey, you're the smartest, you lead the group. No, we go, man, I like the way that guy says things. Yeah, I We're like gonna the way go, his teeth are glowing. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that guy. We've always picked the salesman. Yeah. We always are, as humanity, we're always given the option of smart or salesman, and we're always like, salesman. And yeah. we're like, why do you keep picking salesman? Yeah. What's the matter with you? But whatever. Uh, I think that's the episode for this week. Thank you for listening, downloading, sharing, subscribing, wherever you uh, wherever you share and subscribe from. Don't forget you get yourself a safe journal, safejournal.co, Zoltan at checkout, Z-O-L-T-A-N, for 25% off, and a horribly handwritten note from yours truly. And other than that, uh, cheers and goodbye, everybody. Trekking heavier, traveling light. There's one thing that.